listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast UK, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Rob Wall. I help connect businesses with technical talent, and today I'm your host. Hello and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today I'm joined by Mark Roberts, Kevin Robertson, Paul Baird and Chris Cooper to discuss the improving the skills gap in security. Before we delve into the topic in more detail, uh, let's work our way around the room for some introductions. Mark, do you want to kick us off with a brief introduction? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Robert. Uh, my name is Mark Roberts. I work for Capita. Hi, I work in the consulting business and um, I look after our uh, propositions around cybersecurity, but also uh, some in other interesting digital technologies around low code and uh, RPA, automation, cloud, that sort of stuff. Thanks, Pat. Paul? Afternoon, Robert. So I work for Qualys as the UK and North America Chief Technical Security Officer. Thanks, Paul. And Kevin? Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Robertson. I'm the um, Head of Security Operations at Aspire Technology Solutions, which are a predominantly Northeast-based MSP, um, and I'm essentially the uh, Chief security person there in charge of our managed SOC and um, um, MDR service. Thanks, Kevin. And finally, Chris. Hi, Chris Cooper. Um, I work for Capgemini, where I'm the global cybersecurity strategy lead. Thank you, Chris. Okay, so now we're introduced. Let's move on to the topic in focus. Um, you've all had questions or statements on improving the uh, security skills gap. As usual, I'll work around the room and ask each of you to post your questions and the reason behind it. Each of you have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Um, personally, I've recruited in this space for over a decade, so um, uh, the issues don't seem to be improving. So very interested to hear the points raised here today. Um, so, Chris, uh, we'll start with you. Would you like to pose your question to the table? Sure, yeah. So um, I wanted to know how we ensure that we're drawing from every talent pool um, when we're looking to fill the um, security skills gap. So now everything from apprentices, graduates, experienced veterans, People returning to work after parental leave, that type of thing. Um, like how can we kind of capitalise on all those different uh, areas of the market? Thanks, Chris. I will come to you first, Kevin. Um, yeah, so we I discussed this as part of um, Cyber North, which is the northeast version of one of the, um, the UK Cybersecurity Council, um, the, the cluster scheme that they've got. Um, and one thing we said is that predominantly when people are leaving school, they're given two options, right? You either go to university, um, do a potentially um, less than useful degree in digital forensics, cybersecurity, computer science, um, or you try and get an entry level job, typically not in cybersecurity, even if that's your ambition, but typically in service desk or help desk or possibly network engineering, server engineering, that kind of thing. Now, we think there's a big gap in the market for a properly funded and executed apprenticeship scheme so school leaver ages um, after high school who are interested in this line of work going on to more of a, a placement um, and, and and you know work focused um, type thing I have seen one from the I think it's a government funded one and, and, and one that's that's run um, you know through the public sector which actually on the on face value I, I can't talk to it sophisticacy, but on face value looks very good. Um, so possibly something along those lines is where I think there is a bit of a gap. Now, to answer the question directly though, I think 
some parts of this industry are very difficult to get into be simply because you see a gap there and you want to. I think a lot of them are very much passion driven. And if you don't have a true interest for the subject, I think being successful could be quite difficult. I think some of the narrative um, may, may be pushed by recruiters there, uh, Rob, um, in terms of the high high wages and stuff like that can can occasionally attract the wrong type of person. Um, you know, just the one sort of negative aspect. But I do believe that there is, um, you know, it's quite a wide and varied um, industry and there is, you know, positions for for the majority of people that, that, that want one. Right. Thanks, Kevin. Yourself, Mark, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, very interesting topic. Um, I think, you know, the one thing for me that maybe the statement of the uh, the very obvious, I think as an industry, we absolutely need to do this. You know, I, I look back, I started in cyber sort of, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And if I was short of a resource, I could relatively easily go to the market and, you know, for a reasonable price, I could get somebody with a, you know, with a, with a reasonable amount of experience. Those days are gone. Those days are absolutely gone as far as I'm concerned. You know, we, we as an industry need to look, we need to work a lot harder in order to find the right talent and nurture the right talent. Um, and, you know, we and, and, and for me, in terms of, you know, all of those groups that, Chris, you mentioned, absolutely. You know, and, and there are other groups as well we can uh, we could identify. We as an industry have got to work really hard. And I think, you know, in terms of working really hard, we've got to recognise that all those groups, however we categorise people, they're all different and actually you need a, a tailored approach to all of them. So, you know, trying to recruit, trying to nurture veterans, for example, is a very different challenge to, you know, return to um, work mothers. Um, and, and, and so one size fits all absolutely doesn't work. So so in some ways, none of this is particularly good news for us as employers, because, you know, all of those things, I'm afraid, are going to cost us time and, and, and effort. But, you know, that's that's a that's a product of where we're at, I think, at the moment in, in terms of the market. I think to build on Kevin's point, apprentices, yeah, absolutely um you know we've taken some apprentices in recently and 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 it's just amazing it's just a real breath of fresh air um and they bring with them some some other benefits as well particularly around sort of um uh, you know, retention and loyalty. They're often a lot more loyal to uh, to their first employers. Um, again, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it's just changed the whole dynamic. We've, you know, we've got to work harder. We've got to work harder. And, you know, more ta more tailored, more targeted approaches to, to to various groups of people. And actually, we've got to constantly think of that whole sort of retention challenge. Um, I like, you know. I painted quite a gloomy picture there, but actually, I think it's I think it's a kick that we needed probably as an industry. And actually, you know, it's going to cost us time and effort. But, you know, I'm up for the challenge and, you know, it's uh, yeah, we've, we've just got to do the, you know, up our game, basically. So thanks, Matt. And yourself, Paul? Um, I'm going to blame it on recruiters. It's all their fault. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's a million dollar question. I think Kevin and Mark have both captured it um really well there's definitely sort of two sides to this question is i think as leaders and recruiters we need to go out to these sort of groups and educate them to to, to let them know that there is a job in cyber for them you know i have i've recruited a, a number of um reskillers and they have been some of the best SOC engineers that i've had because they are so keen and passionate about the change but it you know, as as a hiring manager, 
um, recruiters and HR people wouldn't present those CVs to me because they didn't think they were they were worth it. Uh, and until I pushed the recruiters, until I pushed the HR teams to let me see all of the CVs that were coming through, let me decide as a hiring manager, because it's uh, it's not just about qualifications, it's not just about education. That sometimes you can see some glimmers, you know, how people started to create their own sort of environments at home that they're testing and playing with. So it shows that they've got ambition, they've got passion, but that might not come through with their qualifications or, you know, past workflows. So I think we as leaders need to go out and we need to go out and, and speak to these different groups and say that there is a role here, start applying for these roles. And I think internally we need to speak to our HR teams more and our recruitment teams more and, and open up um, these CVs a lot more. Stuff. Thanks, Bill. Okay, Matt, we'll come to you next for your question. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, these are all part of the same theme, aren't they? But um, having spent some time recently, you know, looking at um, you know the sort of eleven to fourteen-year-olds, I suppose it were, in, in terms of cybersecurity, and also having had a, uh, a couple of kids in my household as well, how do we, you know? People make career decisions or potentially make career decisions actually now when they're when they're quite young without realizing it. So, you know, when they are starting to make GCSE or equivalent choices at the age of 13, 14, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a possibility there that they're sort of beginning to you know start forming themselves down a certain sort of career route. How do we how do we therefore make cyber more interesting and appealing to say the likes of eleven year olds? so that actually when they start you know when they start making some of those decisions they've got half an eye on you know cyber as a as a potential career good, good, good question uh chris do you want to pick that one up yeah no I, I think there's a couple of points from my perspective there the first is kind of trying to make cyber security more relatable to them um because you know, we, we're great as an industry of you know having an acronym for everything using lots of military terminology and things and, and kind of making it sound like this super secret world that uh, <laughs> no one no one understands what's happening. And if we actually made it so they understood how we were affecting their day-to-day -day lives, uh, whether that's because of social media or things like that, then it hopefully would become like something more interesting. Um, and in terms of that careers piece, I think uh, it kind of relates to what we were talking about just now as well, is that it's never been easy to get into cybersecurity. Now, when I started, it took me, you had to sort of take a number of job hops to try to get into cybersecurity. And even today, it's not very obvious when you look at the industry to say, okay, this is how I get in, this is, how, this is the approach I should take. And I think having those kind of laid out entry routes and also progression as well is key. And obviously, the new cybersecurity council is looking at doing some of this thing. Um, but I think it's kind of a, an obligation on the industry to actually pick up some of this, like both as a kind of a moral obligation, but also as a commercial imperative. Thanks, Chris. Your thoughts, Paul? Well, for the listeners on the call, there is nobody here at the moment that's sitting in a darkened room wearing a hoodie over their head, <laughs> listening to banging techno or thrash music. And that's one of the problems. You know, it's 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 people have that perception, that persona of what, you know, a cybersecurity person should be. And they don't fit into that bubble, that circle. So therefore they go off and do another career. 
So I think we need to, to, to break that sort of visual first and foremost um, from the schools. You know, I've got two sons that are currently doing their cybersecurity degree through Open University. I try to convince them to take another path, but no, they're, they're absolutely adamant. But going through school, they were never geared up to understanding what cybersecurity was. You know, people joining the, the medical uh, profession, you've got a basic idea. You want to be a nurse, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a surgeon. You've got some sort of idea. Um, all I've heard my son say is, I want to be cybersecurity. But what do you want to be? Well, what do you mean? You know, there's incident managers, there's pen testers, there's SOC analysts. You know, that there is so many different roles and functions within cybersecurity, but they're never they're never expanded out. We have this this label cybersecurity and that's it. So I think at an early age, we need to start, especially at schools, we need to start educating um, the kids more about what cybersecurity is and what it's about. You know, I, the last SOC that I stood up, we weren't even in a SOC room, we were on an IT floor. So very much breaking down those walls. So we we're more interactive with, with the rest of IT and the rest of the business. And I know sort of cyber first schools and the college scheme is, is started, I think was it 2018. And that was expanded, unfortunately through COVID in 2020, 2021. Um, but I think that's a great way and a great start of, of getting into schools and, and the government sort of supporting that. Um, and also maybe gamifying it a little bit, you know, so most of you on here probably heard of Hack the Box and Try and Hack Me. You know, great, great, um, great sites. I, I push both my sons to those just to give a, a flavour and understanding of the other side of, of what they're trying to do and what you would be doing as a defender to try and stop these, just to give them an idea uh, of, of what's going on. But also you know, letting them know that it is going to be 17 hour days for the next 10 or 15 years until you get to your CISO position and then you can work, you know, 36 hours a week and go home and enjoy yourself. Um, so again, I think it's just setting out those rules and setting out what cybersecurity is all about. Christoph, have you the thoughts there, Kevin? Uh, well, I'll, I'll end then with a, um, maybe a very contentious um, opinion. Um, and this is very, very debatable, but I think there's an argument to be made that there is no such thing as an entry level cybersecurity job anyway. Now, my reason for that is that ultimately security spawned off as a specialism of IT um, and, and, and information security, you know, in general. Um, so I would say that the majority of us on this call, the majority of people in senior roles started as a, as a network engineer, server engineer, some form of IT person, shall we say. So I think that's why it's very difficult to cater to the younger crowd and the younger market um, and, and, the, and the more junior market, because that route to an entry level position never existed before. You know, um, that was never a thing. And, and arguably now it's getting better um, and, and it's a little bit more defined. You can possibly go into a SOC analyst, like a junior SOC analyst role without any previous IT experience, but then you know, I would say that you would need a lot of support from someone that does have that background and, and, and this, that and the other. So that, I think, is the hardest part about getting people into cybersecurity um, full stop is that the entry level bit is just so ill-defined um, and possibly, again, contentiously non-existing. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add to that, Mark? Are you, are you comfortable with those questions, the answers? Yeah, no, great. Thank you. Pretty good. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, we'll come to you next, Kevin. Your question. Ah, uh, yeah. So, 
My question is, is, is very short and simple, but it's essentially what certifications do we define as being actually useful in today's market? Now, just to elaborate on why I've asked that, um, is that there's obviously a big push at the moment um, for the government in the UK and Cybersecurity Council to almost define pathways um, for particularly senior practitioners um, in security. Now, I have a a worry that they will choose certain certifications which possibly um, are highly regarded but but maybe shouldn't be so depending on your position your role and, and job um, so I wanted to get you know some other people's opinions on that. Thanks Kevin. Paul do you want to pick that up? Well that's a difficult one to answer. Um, I'm quite a traditionalist I, I started my career 25 years ago when you know MCSE and MCPs exams um, and that really turned me off doing exams because it was regurgitating the book in the exam and it wasn't teaching you any practical experience whatsoever. So when I started to become more senior and started to see these exams coming through and people have no practical experience, it really put me off because I know that they were book smart, but they weren't practical smart. You know, if they had to put any of their, you know, book knowledge into practice, they would have probably broken quite a lot of things. But it depends where you are. And I know, um, Kevin, you mentioned sort of the, the pathways for the senior people. I think as you start to traverse through security and you start to get more specialised, I think there is sort of like if you've got very deep pockets, the SANS qualifications for, you know, incident handling and forensic specialists, I think they are worthwhile um, for management. You know, the CISP and, and CISM um, are still very good sort of groundings and in good exams to do. But going on your point from the last question about sort of going through um, IT first or infrastructure to then go into security. When I when I look for junior engineers, uh, SOC analysts, I do look at their IT background first and what they've done within IT and what qualifications, whether it's just a comp IT qualification, because I think most security people would struggle to defend against an attacker if they didn't have the basics, if they didn't know how a firewall worked, if they didn't know how AD worked, DNS worked. Um, so to answer your question, it is a difficult question to answer. I think it really, really depends where you're looking, uh, sorry, what sort of level you're looking at within your sort of SOC function to whether or not you would look for qualifications. I know I definitely look for experience first at the senior levels and if they've got qualifications, great, but I, I certainly don't put very much weight to them. Thanks, Paul. And Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, so I've got kind of two conflicting views on this. So I, I'm all in favour of professionalising the industry. I think you know, having that set out with proper standards is a, a positive step. But at the same time, I do think we, we've kind of created this commercial model of qualification um, that has different value <laughs> depending on um, what you go for and, and you can end up with you no know, badge collectors but you know, they've got the first two pages where CV is a list of their uh, all the badges they collected. And I think it is very much and as Paul was saying um, about having the right qualifications for your role in the industry um, and now as a consultant often it's you no know, or CIS, um, that type of qualification but that doesn't mean it's the right qualification for a pen tester. Um, so it's about having the, the right qualifications and you know, not a huge amount of them either. It could be you know, very appropriate. Thanks, Chris. 
And Mark, your thoughts? Yeah, I was, I was going to go radical and say none, no certifications, uh, which sort of builds on on Paul and Chris's point, which is about you know that that difference between um, you know knowledge as typified by a certificate and practical experience. So I you know I did my CIS two three years ago. I I knew then what port four forty and eighty do. You know how many times have I used that in my working life since? Not very many, I can tell you. Um, you know so. Um, Oops, sorry. Um, but I do, you know, I, I, so it's so it's got to be about joking aside. It has got to be about, you know, that sort of um, that professionalization, the mixture of both uh, knowledge and practical experience. And, you know, and yeah, we've, I think we've all seen badge collectors do they, you know, are, are, are they better security experts than anybody else? No, not really. They've just, you know, they've just been able to go around and, uh, and pick up a whole lot, a whole load of certification so um, so yeah i think it's i think it is that balance the you know, practical and uh, and the knowledge um i you know i echo chris's points i you know the, the fact that we're trying to professionalize the industry can only be a good thing um yeah i just hope that you know we don't go so far down the road that it becomes you know really sort of you know very sort of stereotypical or very you know very narrowly defined as to what you can and can't do because i think one of the things we haven't one of the things in this industry that I haven't really sort of touched on here is is, is diversity uh, and actually you know when you are effectively trying to defend an organization against the criminal mind which is fundamentally what we're what we're doing a lot of the time you really need that diversity because criminals are hugely diverse in their thinking about you know how to attack and how to you know how to how to exploit uh, in any walk of life so uh, we absolutely need that diversity and i think there's a danger that if you start creating career paths and everything like that you just channel everybody down into the same uh, the same sort of um, street which is a, which is a worry definitely don't want to go down that phase quite through there needs to be kind of ways across between the different sort of routes may not start as a pen tester and end up somewhere else um it's the last thing you want to do kind of force people into particular routes and that's all you can do and and also, if we look at the you know the government pathways scheme, three of the main sponsors of that are ISC2, it is Crest, it is CompTIA, um, and and for me, you know, call me an anarchist, but the government and public sector getting involved in how we kind of do business, I'm I'm really struggling to see that as a good thing. <laughs> yeah, and I've got to agree with Mark's point on that that sort of diversity. You know, the last thing we need is that cookie cutter approach to any team if you have 20 mini me's you're never going to be able to defend against an attack yeah and i think um diversity is normally attributed to to gender race and things like that but i think one thing which is often missed is is, is the person's background right so we talked about um university graduates apprentices people straight from school it backgrounds i think all of those should also be discussed when we talk about diversity you know in terms of um, backgrounds rather than, than than just sort of um, ethnicity and, and race and gender and stuff. Good stuff. Thanks, Chris. Okay, and last but not least, uh, Paul, do you want to fire your question? I think everybody's already answered it, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Uh, and it's very specific around uh, employers. So what more can employees do in developing the next generation uh, of cybersecurity people? Thanks. Come to you first, Mark. 
Yeah, I, th I think you're right, Paul. It's a great question. I think we've, we've we've touched on a number of things already. You know, from my perspective, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of apprenticeships, um, uh, and and I do like what is what is going on in terms of career paths. I think some of the things we haven't sort of talked about are, you know, maybe role models. Um, you know, we need to somehow create role models in the industry, um, and in doing that, you know, we can, you know. We can show that we are all different. We can all, we can show that we're not, you know, whatever your phrase was of, you know, hoodie wearing, thrash metal listening, <laughs> um, people sitting in darkened rooms. You know, but you, there are stereotypes, and we've got to break those down. And I think you know, role models is a really good way of doing that. I'd love to see, and I don't I don't know if such a thing exists. I suppose it must do in a SME. But you know, if we could find a chief exec of a company who used to be the chief, who used to be the CISO, you know, how powerful would that be? You know, in terms of saying to people, look, actually, you know, there's so many different routes to become, you know, chief exec. You know, you can be a finance person, you can be a salesperson, you can be a, you know, operations person. You can also be a security person because actually the the breadth and range of skills that you will pick up along the way of being a, you know, a high quality security professional will put you in great stead for being, you know, the leader of an organization. You know, why shouldn't it? You know, so let's 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 find that CEO who used to be a CISO and and um, get that person out, you know, banging the drum. Thanks, Matt. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's like I said, the, the companies have to put their their money where their mouth is. You know, they they love well, they've got on board with doing apprentices and things, and that, that's a great thing. But it's very much at the moment about getting their tax rebate rather than um, anything else. And you now, if you're going to have these programs, you have to have the structure around them and invest in the training, the development, and the work experience. And then they'll be really powerful and, and really good, um, committed employees. So that, that's first, the first part, is they have to kind of make that effort. Um, but I think wider than that as well, the, the companies need to engage with local colleges and you know, schools and universities. Kind of build those relationships earlier on as well, so that they get all the voice skills coming in as well. Um, now we've, we've done something in in Vanessa, for example, where we paired up with a local um, college, and now we actually have a course that is run specifically for people looking to come into the cybersecurity world in, in our stock. Um, so now there's, there's things that can be done there, uh, but it is about companies making that investment. No, it's in their commercial interest in the long run because uh, it comes back to Mark's point from the beginning about how expensive everybody is now. Well, if you can bring them in at that earlier stage, then uh, you, you get them at that, um, at that, get them and hold on to them. Thanks, Chris. And Kevin, any thoughts? Um, I think the entry level apprenticeship type bit has been covered you know very well so i'll just touch on maybe actually people more at their sort of mid-level to senior level of their career i think they're often um, maybe even left behind a little bit because one thing i think which is not understood as well is how you know rapidly changing and, and, and progressive the industry is you know that's one problem i and one struggle i think universities have is that they define their curriculum so far in advance um, it's a four-year degree. By the time you get to your final year, what was written five years ago is probably out of date. You know, um, so that's something that I think everyone has to understand who's running a business that you need to continually invest um, and and understand that your security professionals will continually need training and continually need funding. Um, it's not going to be a get them to a certain level and they plateau and and that's good. Uh, they, there's peaks and troughs in 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 our line of work. I would say. 
Um, the fundamentals remain, but ultimately you need to be ahead of your game and understand the latest sort of landscape or you will very, very quickly um, fall behind. Any uh, thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, I mean, some really good points by all the panels. I'm wondering if um, organisations um, need to look at the sporting world, you know, football academies, training academies. They've done a fantastic job in, in fostering the next great gold medalist, the next great, you know, um, David Beckham. You can tell I don't watch that much football. Um, and so why not? Why can't companies do exactly the same thing? Because as, as Kevin said, it's in their interest at the end of the day cyber you know threats are not going away they're increasing um we need you know bums on seats we need bodies and the other one that sort of worked really well for me at jlr was looking internally and doing that recruitment drive internally i found that one of my best hires was an incident manager who had worked for jlr for 27 years he knew every single part of jlr globally inside and out so training him in the ways of incident management was easier than getting a fully qualified incident manager in and training him in the ways of JLR. Um, and so taking that on its head a little bit and seeing if they can develop people internally into, you know, uh, into jobs like within IT or within security. Thanks, Paul. Uh, is there any further points you'd like to raise on this um, things we discussed so far? Um, just one point, just to, to 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 recap on what we've been talking about there. Um, I actually am finding, and and maybe it's just me, maybe I'm in a fortunate position that it's not, it's not a people problem in terms of number of people. If I put a job advert up for a cybersecurity analyst, I will have a hundred applicants by the end of the week. Um, it's more the quality of those applicants. So that's why I think it's important to have conversations like this because there's obviously a training gap. These people are obviously very interested in getting started in the industry. And, and not getting what they need. Um, I think platforms like Hack the Box, Try Hack Me, Blue Team Labs Online, all those practical training platforms are an excellent resource. But um, again, I, I gave a, a talk in a university um, only a few weeks back, and one person out of about 25 had heard of Try Hack Me, for example. And this was a cybersecurity um, degree. So. That to me was very worrying, right? They are learning the theory, but no practical application, which means when they come to interview with, with someone like myself and I ask them, how does TCP work? And they don't know it's 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 it's, it's a struggle, I'll say. No, I agree with you on that. And I'll I'll, I'll blame recruiters again. Sorry, Robert. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the first person that a lot of these people speak to when they want to, you know, get into their career as cybersecurity is a recruiter. Um, and sometimes that is not the best person to speak to, first and foremost, with all respect, Robert. You know, you're out there to fulfill a role. You're not there for to do career guidance. So, you know, on Kevin's point, it's, it's about how the industry fosters these people and how we educate them and guide them and support them on their journey. And, you know, we've talked about apprenticeships. They're great, but you know, minimum wage, it's not even minimum wage. I think the average apprentice scheme is £4.50 an hour. How many people can live on, you know, that's the cost of, you know, a litre of fuel at the moment, I think, at the pumps. So, you know, how, how can we make it so they can live and learn at the same time? Yeah, someone, um, it's interesting because um, if you look at university, and, and again, just my opinion, but um, 
a lot of university students, they almost peak in university, right? They now have very nice accommodation, a very nice lifestyle, and then ultimately reality is going to hit home when they graduate and they have to go take a um, effective pay cut. Um, and that I think is part of the, the struggle. You know, I interview university graduates who are expecting 35, 45 grand a year jobs. Um, and in the northeast of England, it's simply not going to happen, <laughs> shall I say. So I think that's part of the issue. And again, not to just blame recruiters all day, but I think <laughs> part of that narrative was certainly pushed by your side of the business, Rob. <laughs> not lying, I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> Any further points on that? Do you want to add or are we all done there? It may be if, you know, if recruiters are getting CVs through and they're not right, and there's a particular reason they're not right, then either the recruiter or the hiring manager or somebody needs to go back to these people and explain to them rather than, and I'm not saying Robert for whatever and evolution would do this, um, rather than just cutting them off, letting them know the reasons why they weren't, you know, accepted. They didn't have enough experience. They didn't have the right qualifications, you know, they're not in the right location, just to give them a helping hand at what they need to do to succeed rather than just stopping. Because mm. a lot of the, the times that, that, that hurts them to the point where as they start to go back to their say their original jobs if they're reskilling or go and find another career and you might have just lost a very talented cybersecurity person and i think again it's right back to that start is just that support i think leaders us on this panelists i think we need to go out and support these people and help these people mentor coach um, these people an awful lot more yeah i mean i think yeah. from, a, from a recruitment standpoint there's there is a an expectation as an agency to, to deliver um, talent that that will hit the mark for you straight away and, and you know if I start sending CVs that are irrelevant and ask for feedback as to why uh, in most cases we don't get it we, we get oh it's just a no um, and then it's it's to getting that structured feedback from from everybody um, yeah. we obviously try and pass on as much as we can because it's, it's our duty to the candidates to make sure that they're aware where they're in the process and it's probably one of the biggest bugbears of any recruiter is not getting feedback just getting a no um, so it is a, it's an industry-wide problem. It's you know it's something that I suppose these 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 gaps are, are there for various reasons, and um, yeah, we could all do a bit to to help and to fill them, I suppose. And, and and again, I don't think it's just your problem. I think it is the education institutes and and, and the way that they're you know fostered. I mean, if I look at a, a, a even a cybersecurity degree um, scheme, will that set them up to be a junior SOC analyst in my SOC? Probably not. Like there's so many other things that I'd rather they were spending time learning than than what's in that degree. So I almost feel like the um, degree scheme or the apprenticeship scheme needs to be a little bit more specialized because this industry is so varied that, you know, learn to become a generalist. You're going to struggle to find a job. The, you know, um, jack of all trades, master of none type analogy mm. comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my sons have just done a whole six month module at Open University on maths and calculus. You know, when was the last time a SOC engineer needed that? You know, gone are the days when I learned binary maths for my CCNA and things like that. We don't use that anymore. So why is it still being taught? Um, you know, your your comment, um, Kevin, about you learn something and, you know, you go through your degree for four or five years and it, you've lost. But if they're already starting with, you know, old information and old ways, then it's not going to help them five years on. Yeah. So can you imagine that, you know, imagine in, in, in our position, if we could teach someone one-to-one um, -one for three or four years, I imagine we'd do it very differently than what they're getting taught at the moment. That's that's kind of my point is 
is I just question, um, you know, what the education sort of in industry is, is setting is setting them up for. I don't know part of the problem with that whole higher education piece, though, is that you know it takes three or four years to get a, a degree course curriculum approved. So. And you were saying about uh, four is four years old when they start. It's probably actually about seven years old uh, <laughs> by the time it's gone through that process. So that's one advantage of kind of the apprentices and things like that is it's a lot more flexible. Um, yeah. that, most graduates I've taken on, uh, the best ones typically come and have five minutes um, about those skills that they have and, and versus those that you can teach them. Yeah, all the graduates I hire, it's, it's it's usually based off their extracurricular activities. You know, the other mm -hmm. learning they've done, the certifications they've done, um, you know, university degrees. Yeah, they are just so behind the times. I very much doubt we, we could go on every university in the country and see if they mention XDR or SOAR or any of them sort of newfangled technologies. I, I would be very surprised if, if too many are touching um, on that. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Novell 311 and 412. <laughs> That's really showing my age now. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay. Well, yeah, I think we can leave it there. I mean, so th this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Uh, I'll take this opportunity to thank Mark, Chris, Kevin, and Paul for their insights in the topic and thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of the up-and-coming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email on robert.wallevolutionjobs.co.uk. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, all.